You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is 2023. <laughs> Speedy, what's up? Happy New Year, all the listeners out there. I certainly had a good time. Wishing you all the best in the new year. Very successful new year and get the resolutions on. I also want to give a shout out to a lot of the NFL community that has not had a good start to this 2023. First of all, Peyton Hillis, shout out to him, now in critical condition, trying to save his kids from drowning. So hope he recovers well. And Damar Hamlin, we'll talk about later in this segment, everything that went on with him. And the saddest one for us, we had him on the show, was our friend Uche Waneri, ex-guard for the Jacksonville Jaguars, unfortunately passing away at the age of 38. So sending condolences to his family as well. It's been a crazy week, a new week, a new year, just crazy. Crazy things. You only hope for all these different athletes, two of them in critical condition, the other one who passed away. We reach out to their families and give them all the love and affection that we as radio show hosts want to give them. So a shout out to those three wonderful and special athletes. We have a great show lined up for you guys. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to former Giants, two-time Super Bowl champion, running back. Brandon Jacobs, and he will be bringing his five-star recruit son, offensive lineman recruit Brayden Jacobs. We're going to talk a little bit about Brayden moving forward as a high school student, moving on up in Georgia. Very excited for Brandon and the Jacobs. We're going to get into the DeMar Hamlin situation in the NFL, altering AFC playoff in certain scenarios. Cincinnati and the Buffalo Bills have decided that they're not going to finish that game. Giants clinched the number six seed in the NFL. The Jets eliminated after losing 23-6 to six to the Seahawks. Three for all picks of the week. The Mets reportedly frustrated with Carlos Correa talks and Scott Boris talks. He seems to be behind all of them. The Mets might back out of the signing of Carlos Correa. Red Sox sign Rafael Devers. 11 years, $331 million. The Yankees cautious with Brian Reynolds due to steep rice. Is Brian Reynolds going to be a Yankee? NBA, the Knicks reportedly in the trademark for Zach Levine. And the Knicks and Nets updates, the Rangers and Islander updates, and Moneyline Mania National Championship preview between Georgia and TCU. So why don't we get into it? We have seen some crazy things in sports. Some ridiculous things, sad things, and just outrageous things. And on Monday night, we watched a player with a normal hit, hits a wide receiver, gets up, and completely collapses right on national TV. His heart stops. He stops breathing for about five minutes. And shout out to the trainers that gave him CPR. We're talking about Damar Hamlin. The trainers that gave him CPR to get him back breathing. I've seen some crazy things. And to see something like that, when the crowds were loud, and then all of a sudden it was so quiet, it was like a pin drop in a stadium with some of the best fans in the country. You're talking about almost 65,000 people in the stadium completely shut down, off, no sounds, no remarks, no nothing after DeMar Hamlin collapses 
on the Cincinnati Bengals football field. And the NFL is trying to protect every single player with the CTE concussion situation, them wearing those padded helmets during practices. You wonder, what could the NFL do to protect players from this happening? A freak accident. Only one out of 250 million times that this could happen to a player. You wonder what the Buffalo Bills were thinking when they saw this. Maybe it was a routine. They thought he just fell over. He hit his head. And then they realized that it was a lot worse than that. He wasn't breathing. A cardiac arrest is something you don't see from 24-year-olds. Healthy, athletic 24-year-olds. You wonder what the NFL could do, what the NHL could do, what any of these collision sports could do to protect their players, and there's really nothing. But what we saw on Monday night was something that you never want to see on a football field, something that you never want to see in professional sports. The one good thing that happened on Monday night was DeMar Hamlin actually surviving. His mother, his family, his father, to watch something like that on national television. I couldn't imagine what they were feeling. I couldn't imagine what they saw when they were rushing to the hospital. You saw Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen crying on the football field. When you see something like that, you look at football players to be tough, the toughest. And when you see them cry, you wonder if they even cry. But when you lose a brother in arms, you lose a player that you respect, you train with, you hang out with week by week, day by day, second by second, and you see one of them just completely fall and almost die right in front of your eyes. It shows you what brotherhood in sports is, what sports brings to these athletes and brings them together. And for the NFL to not cancel the game right away, to kind of linger it around because they were unsure if they should cancel it or keep playing is absolutely despicable. I do not like what the NFL is trying to do, trying to ruin the playoffs, trying to maneuver the playoffs because these players don't want to play in Cincinnati again. The Bengals and Buffalo do not want to play against one another in that game, as they should after seeing that. And the next time they see each other, maybe in the AFC title game, maybe in Cincinnati, maybe in Buffalo, who knows? Maybe in a neutral site. What you see now and what you wonder, what the NFL saw when they glimpsed at DeMar Hamlin falling to the ground and losing air and almost dying is something that you don't want to see. And what I see now the NFL needs to do is they need to stop trying to generate more money and revenue because of something that's such a big catastrophe. To try to generate more revenue because of it is absolutely despicable. Yeah, the NFL has bigger issues when it comes to dealing with money that they should be dealing it with their players and their former players. And it just comes to show you that these contracts not being guaranteed is a big issue because DeMar Hamlin probably will never play football again. I know he's 24, but that's a life-threatening incident that he had to go through. And thankfully, now he's conscious again. He was able to speak a little bit to his teammates on Friday, which is a good sign. He was able to move his hands and his feet and his head. Also got his tube removed, so he was able to talk. It's a good that he's conscious again. But again, this is something that isn't always guaranteed for these players. How many players have got paralyzed after their career and still dealing with CTE stuff? And yes, this is a freak accident in comparison to some other football injuries, but they should be all treated the same. And we've had many guests that are ex-players mention that the NFL is very selective with this kind of thing, and it's just a really bad look. And you're absolutely right. The fact that they took so long to stop the game is mind-boggling. They'd have the coaches tell them, no, we're not playing this game. Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott had to tell Troy Vincent at the NFLPA and had to tell the NFL League office, we're not playing this game. Because nobody on the Bills or the Bengals was in the right state of mind to play this game. And a matchup that feature, you don't want them playing at their worst. Fans are going to miss the game. It doesn't matter. The Buffalo Bills would much rather have their teammate and miss the playoffs 
than be a number one seed in the Super Bowl without DeMar Hamlin alive. That's how much of a brotherhood football is. And you saw it with the players, and you saw it with the fans that night. The Giants clinch the number six seed in the NFL. For the Giants, this was a good season with a new coach in Dable. Daniel Jones has had a phenomenal season, really, with nobody to throw at. One of only three quarterbacks in the NFL to have over 3,200 yards thrown, 600 yards run. It really stands out when you're talking about quarterbacks that could eventually be franchise quarterbacks. And then you look at Saquon Barkley, the season that he had. A season where he is going to try to earn a lot of money in the offseason. Kenny Galladay being waived and thrown off the team early in the season because Dable didn't like him and he didn't fit his offense. And then Shepard getting hurt. And then all these injuries the Giants have to deal with all season long. Yes, their schedule didn't stand out as one of the hardest schedules in the NFL, but you play what's on your schedule. And the Giants had nine wins this year. And they have a chance to possibly win ten if they could knock off Philadelphia on Sunday. Will they? Probably not. But winning nine games and having a winning season going into the playoffs as no matter what, the sixth seed stands out to me. It is a great season among any expectations for the Giants. And you said it about Daniel Jones. He's been one of the most improved quarterbacks from his first three years in the league to this year. Another stat that's great with Daniel Jones that I saw yesterday was he has the highest percentage of on-target throws. 81% of his completions are on-target completions this year, which is the most in the league. Aaron Rodgers is second, and I think there's like a 5% drop-off after that to Jalen Hurts. Like, that's how good he's been this year with no wide receivers either. Slayton is their best receiver. He's a number three receiver on an elite team, elite roster. You put him on the Buffalo Bills, he's a third receiver. You put him on the Chiefs, he's a third receiver. The running game has been great, and it looks like Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones are both going to be paid this offseason. And the defense been very impressive too, considering all the injuries too. A lot of D-line injuries. Thibodeau out the beginning of the season, Leonard Williams, Ojalari, all the secondary injuries. They struggled in the beginning, but picking it up now. So definitely exceeding my expectations for the Giants as a playoff team this year. I had them the 6-11 team at the start of the year and they're in the playoffs. So. It has been a wonderful year for the Giants. And win or lose in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Moving forward with the schedule getting a little harder next year and with all the oh, money they're going to have in the offseason where they can add maybe some wide receiving help and maybe some offensive line help that they've been really lacking in in the second half of the season. The only guy that's really played well this year is Thomas. I think that they can boost up their offensive line in the offseason. That will really stand out to help the New York Giants. And I've been saying this over and over again. The real quarterback whispering coach in the NFL is Dable. And you saw what he did for Josh Allen. And I think he's going to do the same for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is faster than Josh Allen. He doesn't have the arm strength like Josh Allen. But if he could be accurate and he doesn't fumble the ball like he did, he's absolutely capable of being an elite quarterback in this league. I don't know if he's going to be a top five quarterback so maybe not elite but he could be 10 in the NFL and if he is you can absolutely win with him the guy has only eight total turnovers this year he's been really really good and you have to give a lot of credit to Dable and if the Giants don't sign him in the offseason somebody will he will definitely be a big name and a quarterback that a lot of teams will look at in the offseason if the Giants decide to part ways with him which I don't believe they will no it seems likely that they're going to sign him now Mm -hmm. from the reports him and Saquon will get a contract probably both be four year deals Mm -hmm. the Jets eliminated after losing 23 to 6 to the Seahawks, it was absolutely horrendous the way the Jets played in a game that they needed to win. They did not show up to the game. You listen to Conklin saying at the end of the game, it looked like we were just completely flat. Mike White, which every Jet fan wanted to be the starting quarterback, (laughs) he was horrible. And I don't want to hear from Mike LaFleur after the game that Zach Wilson should have probably sat his whole rookie season. Because you want to know something? Mike LaFleur has not been helpful 
to this young quarterback, really for the growth of this young quarterback. You look at the Jets right now. What are they looking forward to in the offseason? Brees Hall getting healthy. Elijah Vera Tucker getting healthy. If Makai Beckham could actually play for a significant amount of time and maybe draft like Joe Douglas did last year, well, take this team into a better position next year. Robert Sala and Woody Johnson are not seeing eye to eye, which it kind of scares me. Maybe Robert Sala could be out. What I do know is the New York Jets had a chance to make the playoffs three times. All they had to do was win one game in three games to get them here going into Miami, and they couldn't do it. Especially with the way Miami fell off. The Jets lost five games in a row. They haven't won since they blew out Chicago. Lost to Minnesota, Detroit, There's the team, Chicago. For all the Jet fans (laughs) that just loved what Mike White did against Chicago, and by the way, MetLife Stadium. Justin Fields was not playing. So it was Jets legend Trevor Simeon. So if Justin Fields played in the game, they probably lose. For all the Jet fans that tell me that Mike White could be the future, he could be the franchise. After he was waived, not once, not twice, but five times by the New York Jets and brought back to be the third-string quarterback for this organization, and you think he was going to be the franchise quarterback, just shows me how inept this franchise really is. You want to point fingers at Zach Wilson for not taking responsibility, which, Jets fans, you have every right to do. That was a really bad look the way he did it. But, Mike LaFleur, I don't know if you're taking responsibility for the lack of development of Zach Wilson. This offense is supposed to be innovative. This offense is supposed to be quarterback-proof. You've worked with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. I know it wasn't your exact play calling, but it's your scheme. And Zach Wilson, a guy with much more arm talent, much more mobility than a lot of those guys in San Francisco, you couldn't develop? Yeah, there were other circumstances. I'm not saying you're the only reason, but it just seems like a little way to dodge blame yourself by saying he needed to sit a year and learn. Maybe he should have. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but you're also trying to push blame off of him and maybe off of everyone else, the other players, and it's not a good look to blame your players like that either, inadvertently, because you're not going to last very long. He's not going to last very long next year if he has the quarterbacks playing the way they did this year. They yeah. were absolutely horrendous. The quarterback play from Zach Wilson to Joe Flacco, who, by the way, is starting Sunday. It's not going to be Zach Wilson. It's not going to be Mike White because his ribs are not 100%. And that's going to be an excuse going into the offseason. The reason why Mike White lost against Seattle was because his ribs weren't 100%. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, okay. Mike White is not the answer. Zach Wilson right now is not the answer. Either is old man Joe. They only had 14 combined passing touchdowns this year as three quarterbacks. It's absolutely horrible. And to put up those kind of offensive numbers and almost make the playoffs just shows you how good the defense was this year. They have not played well the last three games, but I do believe the defense gave up. They worked so hard all season long and with all the bearing injuries that they had to continue to do what they did best and then as the season progressed, it just was harder on their bodies and their bones and their muscles and you saw it. You saw it in Mosley's face at the end of the game against Seattle. Quinn Williams, they look like they're done. That has a lot to do with the offense being inept all season long. They got to figure it out. Brees Hall coming back 100% healthy. They need him as bad as anybody needs a star running back on their team. He needs to come back and he needs to be the same explosive player he was as he figured it out in the first three games of the season. If he does that and he comes back like that, the Jets have something and it'll open up the offense for them. Speedy, are you ready for the three-for-all picks 
of the week. Yes, here we go. We'll start with the Packers this week. The last game of week 18, the last game of the regular season. They will be hosting the Detroit Lions 49 over under. I think the Packers stay hot. They've been impressive the last two weeks against Miami and Minnesota defensively. I think they've done a nice job, especially shutting down the number one receivers on each of those teams. And I think they'll be able to do a lot of the same with Amon Ross St. Brown. Jair Alexander has turned it around off of his injury. And Aaron Rodgers this late in the season usually finds a way to get into the playoffs. Whether they do well in the playoffs, I'm still not sure yet, but I'm going to take the Packers in this game. Detroit, not a great primetime team. I'll take the Packers on the over. Yeah, I like the Packers too. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to sneak into the playoffs and watch out for the big, bad Wolves. Because I think the Green Bay Packers going on the road, not playing in the cold, no snow. They're going to play in heat. They're going to play in domes. And where does that work for Aaron Rodgers? His strong arm and his foot speed. So I think this is great. And I think going to the playoffs, even with the lack of weapons he has, I would bet on Aaron Rodgers. Give me the Green Bay Packers. On the over. Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. 39 and a half the over under. No Lamar Jackson. It will be Tyler Huntley again at quarterback for the Ravens. Both teams have clinched the playoffs, but there would be a neutral game tiebreaker if the Ravens were to win. But I don't think the Ravens are winning this. I'm taking to take the Bengals. Like the Bills, they're going to be a team that's going to be playing inspired. Went down in their stadium. T. Higgins was definitely all emotional. I think he has a big game in this one against a Ravens secondary that has really struggled. Joe Burrow, very fresh. Bengals defense will gain health in this too. They had a couple defensive linemen hurt. Wouldn't have been able to play against the Bills, so I think they'll be able to get some pass rush. The really only weakness is against tight ends this year, so Mark Andrews gets his, and that's really it. So I'm going to take the Bengals in this game. I'll take the over. Yeah, I like the Bengals, too. I think the Bengals are going to be able to run against that front seven of the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, they have Roquin Smith, but even with Roquin Smith, they've had problems stopping the run all season long, and to me, the Bengals are on a mission. The Bengals could do a lot of different things to the Baltimore Ravens, being that Lamar Jackson is not playing offensively and defensively. Give me the Bengals on the over. The Buffalo Bills in their first game since the whole DeMar Hamlin thing, hosting the New England Patriots. Patriots need this game in order to potentially make the playoffs over under 43 and a half. And this is not the team you want to run into. You want to talk about the Bengals playing inspired? The Bills are going to be playing inspired. And the Patriots have been kind of stumblesome as it is. Yeah, they beat the Dolphins, but still have not looked great in their quality of games. Their defense has started to struggle in recent weeks. And you got a Buffalo team that's really playing with a heavy heart right now. Very happy with DeMar Hamlin's progress that he's conscious again. And I'm sure that was a bit of motivator. I think this is a absolute blowout. They're going to score 30 33-3 for number three, Damar Hamlin. Give me the Bills on the over. Yeah, I got the Bills, too. I can't buy that the Patriots are going to go into Buffalo and beat the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, one or maybe two touchdowns. I don't know if it'll be on the over, because I don't think the Patriots are going to put up the numbers either. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to shut them down. It's going to be cold in Buffalo this weekend. Might even be a little snowy. Give me the Buffalo Bills on the under. Wouldn't a shutout be something to play inspired? That, ladies and gentlemen, is our final three-for-all picks of the week in the regular season. When we come back, we have our very special guest. We will be talking to former Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs and his five-star offensive line recruit son Braden Jacobs here on the Weekend Crunch. Get it, Brandon! Oh, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing my dance. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. It's 2023. And remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. The World Wide Sports Radio website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows. They're live 
live throughout the week. And our show, The Sports Lab Mounts, which airs every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and every Thursday at 9 p.m. It is a great show. Definitely stay tuned and listen. Funny show, great content, and great guests. So definitely stay tuned every single week and all the shows that we have on our network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the guy, the myth, the legend. We are now talking to former Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs and his wonderful son, five-star offensive line recruit, Brady Jacobs. What's up, my man? Man, you know, nothing much, man. Just here in the middle of a move right now, going from one house to another. But things are going great, man. Happy New Year to you guys. I hope all is well. I hope your New Year bring in much success, great health, and everything else you want. You look Happy healthy. New Year to you guys, too. Yeah. You look healthy. So does your son. You still look the same that you did when you played football eight years ago. So you look great. I try my best, man. This is going to be my 10th year being out. I retired after the 2013 season. So 23 season coming up is going to be my ninth year. I ain't done with the sport. But uh, yeah, man, it's been a long time, man. Been trying to work with this guy. Make sure he get to where he want to go and make sure he knows what it takes to get to where he want to go. Making sure he knows where he want to go. Mm. That type of stuff. So I'm really proud and a uh, proud father. Being in a position and watch him grow and go through this crew is a totally different process now than what it was when I came out. So. so before we get into the Giants, why don't we get in with your son and Braden, we heard a lot about you. You're six foot five. Six and a half now. You're a pretty big dude and your father speaks very highly of you. You're an offensive lineman. I think you were recruited by Kent State. What was the school? Kansas State. Kansas State. Alabama. Yes. He got offers from Georgia, Tennessee, NC State. There's a lot of their schools too. Power five. I love Three it. Three SEC powerhouses. Yes. yes. You want to hear that and if you're getting full scholarships, we have a guy out here named Preston Carey, a freshman, All-American freshman, and he's a big dude like you, but looking at what your father has done in the NFL, winning two Super Bowls, he was a big part of the Giants Super Bowl championship. The pedigree that you have moving forward is pretty unique. What made you, as a young kid, decide to be an offensive lineman from the other positions you could have played? It wasn't really like a decision to play O-line. It was just where I fit in. I've always been a bigger kid. My first year of football, they put me on the O-line, and I ended up loving it. You told us the recruitment updates with the five schools. Also, we've seen very actively the transfer portal this offseason as well. When you do end up making your decisions, do you have other backup plans in mind if maybe school's not recruiting you now, but also could look at you if you talk with any other coaches? Once I decide where I'm going, I don't really want to have a backup plan mm. because if I have to transfer, no one might take me and I might be stuck. So I want to go to a college and stay. That's good commitment. Yeah. When you hear some of these players, knowing that there's a transfer portal, they don't want to play for this coach this year. They go to another coach. They want to win a national championship. We are talking to Giants, two-time Super Bowl champion running back, Brandon Jacobs and his son, Braden Jacobs. Braden, when you look at the game and how it's changed, and you saw how your father played, he was a pounder, guy that pounded everybody at the line of scrimmage. The game has changed. You have these running backs that do all these different things in the open field. They catch the ball, they run up the gut. As an offensive lineman, what is it like blocking for these guys? It's really your one job. Block for the running back, pass block for your quarterback. If you don't do that, then I don't know what you're doing. That's your job. On your recruiting journey, is there one particular coach or player that really stood out to get that recruiting process in and the experience? What were some of those like? All these coaches, it's coaches that know how to recruit and some that don't know how to recruit. Some look at it as a job and a business, and some coaches take it personal as far as who they recruit and build relationships with. You got coaches that'll talk to you and make you feel like they're your kid. You're his kid, and he cares about you, right? That's one of the guys you want to kind of be with. I think Kirby Smart and a lot of those guys over there at Georgia does a great job with connecting with a lot of these players. Tennessee does a great job of connecting with a lot of these players and parents. Even LSU does a really good job on uh, connecting with these players and making them feel like this is the place for you. As a parent, I want to send my son somewhere that he has help, number one. 
like for me, I'm from Louisiana, so if my son wanted to go to LSU, I got tons of people down there to look after him. But for a guy like myself, I want my kid to be close in case they get drunk one night and punch a glass and cut an artery, and here we got to drive two hours to a place. Unlike waiting on a flight to take off early morning to take off to go to a place like Oregon or USC, it's going to be a little difficult to be able to get there when you know you got such a bad tragedy that's happening. So either it's close or somewhere where I know tons of people. So as a parent, that's kind of what you want. And a lot of these coaches, man, some of them treat it as a job. Hey, well, I don't get you. Move on to the next guy, which they all do that, but they all make it a point to make you, to make a lot of these kids and parents feel like your son is going to be safe here with me. I'm going to look out for him. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make sure he's good type thing. So I just want my kid to be able to go somewhere where he is, number one, wanted, somewhere cared about, and somebody got his back. Braden, your father played for the Giants. Did you grow up a Giant fan? I was kind of disappointed to it, but <laughs> I don't really remember much from him playing because I was so young. I think the game is completely different from when he played, and with the new rule changes and the protection for CTE, we, we speak to a lot of players. After watching that just horrendous thing that happened to Mar Hamlin suffering that scary cardiac arrest, it scares you. Brandon, your father, I'm sure his family, DeMar's family, watching that on national TV and watching their son just fall over like that, it's scary. What were your thoughts when you watched that on national TV? It was scary because it made me think to myself, this is the sport I want to go play. And these are some of the risks of me playing that sport. But it's a sport that can make me a lot of money and get me a lifetime worth of living after retirement. How about you, Brandon? What did you think watching DeMar fall? It was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Being a guy that played the sport, there's a lot of guys that out there played and a lot of guys that's lucky enough to get through it. It was such a terrible situation. My best wishes out to his family and him. I hope he can pull through this thing and be able to live a normal life. It's definitely scary. I talked to my wife about it. This is what our kids want to do. They understand the risks that take place on the football field. They understand that after you're done, risk as well. Being able to walk, being able to think straight, being able to communicate with people on a certain level. They understand the risk that's involved. My kid were to go, if this kid were to go out there and play the game and something were to happen where he got hit and died, I'm not going to say I regret him playing. I'm not going to say that because I don't. This is something that, this is opportunity that was created for himself and this is a decision that we all made. So this is a part of the risk that comes with it. We got a youngest son as well. He's 12. If he goes out there and something happens to him, we're not going to make the youngest stop playing. It's just all about this is the risk that you assume and this is what can come from it. I know that as your dad, your mom knows as your mom and everyone around you know it and this is what comes from it. We can't blame no one else for it and this is what we got. So we're going to go out here and we're going to kick ass and we're going to be a success as we gonna be until we can't no more. So I was criticized with the NFL with the way they handled the whole thing. They mm-hmm. eventually canceled the game, but it took them a lot longer than it should have in a lot of ways. And you look at the Bills and the Bengals players as a whole, and even across the league, just all the grievances, all the prayers being sent to Demar Hamlin, and a whole community support. So, what do you think is the next steps for the NFL, both this season and also long term, to help these players get protected better? Well, I'm not sure the NFL can do much right now to help these players get protected, man. But I say this though: the NFL players are in a piss poor. We sit out here. And we play this game in front of millions of people every week to not have permanent lifelong health insurance, to be able to jump over hurdles and fight lions, tigers, and bears, and cut ourselves out of the stomach of a python to try to get disability from the NFL. They got their doctors who's on their side who's going to say you're fine. But a real doctor who doesn't know you from Adam is going to say you got problems. The NFL is a big business, it's a big mafia, and they want to make all the money that they can possibly make without having to reach down and help a lot of the players that's under them that has done it. A lot of former players like guys come from, not even myself, guys that come before me. You got guys that come before me that don't have health insurance now because of their time was up. These six years, the IRA account is done. <laughs> I think the NFL needs to do a better job with the billions of dollars that they make every year on making sure these guys, when they're done playing, 
or protected. Health insurance for me costs about $2,500 a month. I know it's thousands of people that came through the NFL, right? But I think that they can do a better plan and I think they can do a better job making sure that these guys, like a lot of these former guys are okay. Like at the end of it, yeah, we're not making you much more money, but we made you enough to at least we don't have to jump through hoops to be able to get our disability when things go wrong, our workers comp. They fight us on all of this stuff, man, and I think it's terrible. We are talking to Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs and his son Braden Jacobs. And it's crazy because I speak about it. I have taken shots at the NFL. They probably don't like me. Roger Goodell, who's making about $45 million a year. He's got benefits, long life benefits after he's done with the NFL. So does his kids, his family, and he has his own jet. I understand how you feel. We've spoken to a lot of ex-NFL players and they agree with you. It's not just you, Brandon. Every single one of them have said the NFL have struck out on this and they have to figure something out. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow, not the next day, but now. So the game needs to be fixed in a lot of ways. The players you need to step up to the plate and protect the players that are putting their bodies and their lives on the line. So why don't we get into the Giants, Brandon? And the Giants have had a pretty good year for a team that had no weapons. They lost Sterling Shepard early in the year. Kenny Galladay has been an absolute strikeout. You look at the big picture of where the Giants are. I'm surprised. I know their schedule fell the right way for them. What were your thoughts to Daniel Jones here? A lot of people are trying to tell him he's done. You need to be looking for a new quarterback. Is he the quarterback of the future of what you see now with Dable running this show? I want you guys to sit and think about something when you're talking about Dane Jones. The offense been winning ugly games. They've been putting up ugly numbers. I don't think the Giants put up over 350 yards the whole season of total offense. When people speak of DJ, they should take into consideration everything that comes with a guy who gives the ball to everybody else. Name one wide receiver on their team that you can call a go-to guy. Do you guys know one? None. Guys, None. No, Darius no. Slate, he would be a third or fourth option on any other team. On any other team, but right now he's a one option because mm-hmm. that's what we yeah. got. We gave $72 million to a big 6'3", 6'4", 200-plus pound Kenny Galladay who has... A bust? Disappeared. <laughs> a bust. I mean, I don't call a guy a bust because certain systems and certain organizations are for certain people. But you can't go get a guy that's off the Lions team that was done good for the Detroit Lions but still hadn't won any goddamn games and give him $72 million. You don't do that. He hadn't won enough. Yeah, he had a great season. He hadn't won enough. You don't know what it's like to win. And he's always been in week six, week seven, week eight, week nine. His season is over with. He never had to break down a brick wall at week 14, week 15 to make the playoffs. The Lions have never been anything. And I'm not taking a shot at Holiday. I'm just saying these guys who's making these moves going on paying these guys, they need to take into consideration everything. We want to give a guy $72 million. I think Daniel Jones is the quarterback for the New York Giants. Here's why. Look at the passes he throws. He's an accurate guy. And he can run. He can get out of the backfield. He can create time for himself. I think the offensive line did a decent job this year for mid to later on in the season. I thought he did great. And when he didn't do good, he bought himself some time on his feet. I think he rushed for 700 yards this year for 3,000. That's a good stat. Over 3,000 yards. Yeah, yes. over 3,000 yards. And I think Daniel Jones is the quarterback for the New York Giants. Get the guy a weapon or two to go downfield. Get the guy an immediate weapon. And let's win the Super Bowl, man. And let's go get this thing, man. It's not hard. There's three quarterbacks in the league that have thrown for 3,000 and rushed for over 600 yards. Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen. That's it. Not even Lamar Jackson. Not even Patrick Mahomes have done that. Right. So, in saying that, they're talking about Jalen Hurts is up MVP. And he's in the top with top guys in the league. How could you not get this man credit? And still, both of those quarterbacks you mentioned has downfield threats. We don't have that. And Daniel Jones is still mentioned. They got to respect DJ, man. They got to respect him. He's a good quarterback, and I really think that he can be so much better, and I think the Giants' record can be so much better 
is they had another wide receiver who can actually be a threat on every single down. I thought the defense played tremendous. Other than a few weeks, I thought Philadelphia the first time they played. And the second time, I think they played Dallas. I think those were the two worst games defensively that we played. I think everything else that was in the game, and I thought the defense played well. I still leave the defense like it is. I think our DBs are good who started yes. off the season rough. Mm-hmm. I think they're good. Get this man a wide receiver. Pay Saquon. Pay Daniel. Whatever you can pay him. And find out a way where you can find your way around Kenny Galladay's contract where you can give more people some money. So my question is about Saquon. You were very high on him every time we've had you on the show. Saying that he's going to bounce back and be an elite running back. And he's definitely been that this year. So with the contract now coming up, what do you think the Giants will end up paying him per year and also years-wise? I have no idea. I do know it's going to be short-term. When I mean short term, I say four years max. Say four years, about 50, 55 million, maybe 25 of those 50 guaranteed. I think they'll be able to finagle that. As far as the cap is concerned, I think they give Daniel Jones another short term contract as well. I agree with you. I think when you look at Saquon Barkley and the season that he has, he deserves all the money. And I believe he'll have probably between 25 and $28 million guaranteed, as well as he should. And we'll see if he lives out that three to four year contract. Because that's what I think he's going to have a three to four year contract. They're not going to extend him any longer. Running back don't play that long in the you know that Brandon an average running back three to four years in the NFL two, two years two and a half. so there you go and Brandon you were in the league for a long long time so I give you a lot a lot of credit for what you did as a player we are talking to two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs and his son Braden Jacobs we go back and forth with the Jets and I know you're not a Jets fan you don't like the Jets what were your thoughts on what happened to the Jets second half of the season and saying they're going to stick with Zach Wilson they're behind Zach Wilson do you think the organization should or should be looking elsewhere for a quarterback in the offseason. I like Zach, man. I think Zach is a good quarterback with a lot of great confidence. I do know he has great confidence. Wow, he's around here sleeping with all these mills. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to say it. <laughs> lucky guy. He but, is a lucky guy. <laughs> I think he's a good quarterback. I think the Jets should stick with him. He was 5-2 and two when they benched him yeah. as a starter. They benched him over, I guess, him not taking blame by putting pressure on the defense or the offense could be more successful. They benched him because he didn't answer that question correctly. I think that's piss poor, a piss-poor reason to bench a quarterback who you just drafted. I'm a fan of him, and I think he is the guy for the Jets. I thought the Jets had a pretty decent season. They're better than what they used to have in. Way better than what they used to have. Wow, I'm surprised you're complimenting three with him. I'm surprised you're complimenting them because the last time oh, you, man, were, you weren't too fond of them. <laughs> I'm going to compliment a team that need to be complimented. Absolutely. I'm not a hater. I got you. Because uh, one team across the way. I got you. Hey, he, he was high on sauce last time he was on he, the show. You were. Yeah, you were sauce, very... sauce is a beast. Sauce could be one of the best corners in the league right now. Could be one of the greatest ever played by the time he's done. <laughs> sauce is he had to cover some guys this year, man. Yeah, yeah and he's he done a good did. job. He still hadn't given up much. If you go through his season, it's not much different than what it was last year. Mm. He didn't give up a whole bunch. I like what the Jets have done as far as the coach is concerned. A lot of the moves they made for us roster wise I think the future is very bright I don't really like them but I'm not going to sit up here and say certain things about them because I don't like them I do know a team that you absolutely hate over there in Dallas they have a chance to actually fall in first place by the end of the season if the Eagles lose if San Francisco loses and the Cowboys win they could actually move up to the number one seed in the NFC what are your thoughts to that I hate the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> with a passion I take my gun and shoot it in the air at any star <laughs> but they're good 
football team. They got a good defensive outfit. They got a good offensive outfit. They got their wide receivers crazy. They got two good running backs. Got an offensive line that's out of this world. I wouldn't be shocked if I saw Dallas playing in the Super Bowl this year. I hate them, but I wouldn't be shocked <laughs> if they were to make it all the way. And they beat the Eagles, who the number one team. Good. No controversial calls. No cheating. No one way or another. No one can say rig. They beat them mano y mano. We got Minnesota Vikings. They went there and put 40-something points on the Vikings in Minnesota. I wouldn't be sitting here telling you. Don't worry. Even if Dallas wow. does get the one seed, uh, Dallas- you know a thing or two about them losing in the first playoff. And Dallas game. didn't beat Jalen Hurts. They did go pound for pound, but they didn't beat Jalen Hurts. Dallas did not beat Jalen Hurts. I definitely would agree with that 100%. I think it would have been a different but game. Next man up, got one guy now, which is a quarterback, is a big deal, but come on, man. At the end of the day, he should find a way to get to your need. With the Giants' current playoff scenarios, they could play one of those four teams. Which team are you most afraid of playing? Which would you want to play most? I'm most afraid of whatever can happen to make us fall to go to San Francisco. Nothing. I'm afraid of that. But we can beat Minnesota. Minnesota had a full deck of cards a couple weeks ago, and we were on their asses, which we should have won the game. The Giants can beat Minnesota. I'm not so sure about San Francisco, but the Giants can beat Minnesota. I'd rather the Giants play Minnesota in Minnesota, beat them, and go to Dallas, if that's the case, mm-hmm. and beat them. I see that happen. And we've seen that. The Bengals last year, everything fell together for them, how they went from one team to an everything fell together for them to go to the Super Bowl. So maybe if the Giants get lucky and the matchups match up very well for them, they could go all the way to the NFC title. And there's no question they can. And anything could happen because a team can lose their quarterback or somebody gets hurt or anything. maybe the team's not playing well. The Giants did it yeah. twice. It's amazing. And you did beat San Francisco in the NFC yeah. title game. And I remember Eli getting beaten the hell up. And he yeah, still he found destroyed. a way. Yeah, I remember that game. We all got destroyed. <laughs> they got destroyed too. That was a knockdown drag out game. But once you get to the NFC championship game, anything can happen. Man. Before we let you go, I didn't forget our bet the last time we had you on the show. So remember, next year, before the Jets play the Giants, who Whoever has the better record, you're going to have to take me and Speedy and your son to the game. We go to see the Jets and the Giants on you. But if the Giants have a better record than the Jets by whenever they play, I take you and your son, and I'm going to get fantastic seats. Me, you, Speedy, and your son are going to go to a Giant game, Giant-Jets game next year. What do you say? That's a bet. That's a bet. I know. It's a bet. And I'm going to stick to my bet. I always do. Brandon, we really appreciate your time. Tell your son, Brayden. We wish him all the luck. We will support everything he does. And we'd love to get you guys back on the show very, very soon. And we'll talk to you soon, man. Well, sounds good. Thanks for having me and my boy on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year to you guys. You look good, man. Do whatever you're doing. Fine, man. And and safe travel wherever you're moving to. Are you getting a bigger house now? We are moving to Buford, Georgia. Buford is one of the top tier programs in the state of Georgia, one of the top in the country. I think my boy needs to be there. So uh-huh. that's what we Ooh. Is that a little slip Kirby right Smart, there? you listening? Is that, <laughs> is that a little information that you don't want to give us? It's been known by everybody. Beautiful Wolves. They got up to number six in the nation last year. Mm-hmm. They lost one game in the playoffs, which was a wrong game to, to lose. Should have won a state championship easy. They didn't because they lost the wrong game. But I'm bringing some guys there that's going to be able to get them over that hump. It's iron sharp and iron. There's a bunch of iron over there that, that's in coaches and players. I think they're just going to be able to make my son better to go to the next level. Jersey to Georgia. The Jacobs are heading down to the Big G. Oh, Kirby. no, 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 no. I haven't lived in Jersey since 2000. Oh, really? I thought you were in Jersey, so there you go. That makes it even better. That might be a toss right there to Kirby Smart over there. A little, like, a well, pitch. If we was in Jersey, probably my boy would probably go to Don Bosco or DePaul Catholic. Oh, okay. I know exactly what school that is, and I've been down there. I've talked to a lot of recruits from that school, so. Yeah, yeah. man, we really appreciate the time, as always. You're awesome. We'll get you on soon, and I'm going to stick to that bet, man. That bet is, Victor, is embedded. You. You're going to fly up here. I'll even take you out to dinner. If the Giants have a better record than the Jets next year, I will take you out 
out to a nice dinner and a Giants-Jets game. But what makes you think the Giants are going to have a better record than the Jets next year? Why is this a bet? Why, because like, I think the Jets are going to have a better record than the Giants No, I'm saying, why don't you just pay out this bet this summer? <laughs> <laughs> because we're going to go to a Giant-Jet game. There's only one Giant-Jet game every four years. So there you go. And I think it's next year. That's right. That's right. Like That's right. Like That's right. If, so if it's week eight and we're five and two. Yes. And the Jets are I got you. four and four. Yeah, the I Giants have the better record. I take you to the game. Now, if the Jets have the better record, you got to take me and Speedy and your son to the Giants-Jets game. You're going to have to wear a hat or something. The only difference is Uh is that you're going to have to probably pay for tickets. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. And by the way, you know I have press passes, so I might not have to pay for the tickets either. That's good. (laughs) Outside of the dinner. There you go. I'm going to take you to dinner no matter what. You guys come up here. Even if you have to pay for the tickets, I'll still take you out to dinner. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan to me. All right, there you go. There's the bet. Me and Brandon Jacobs, our bet lies to next year. Jets, Giants, whoever has the better record at the time they meet. Brandon, thank you. Tell your son, Braden, thank you for all the time. As always, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Brandon, a.k.a. Big Daddy Jacobs. And we got a bet. And he is going to take us to a nice football game. And we'll watch the Jets beat the Giants next year. It's going to be fun. You're already making that prediction already? Why not? Brandon Jacobs will take us to seat level to meet some of the Giants and celebrate with the Jets. We'll be in really good shape. And he could celebrate. And at the end of the game, maybe I'll give him my Jets jersey and he could wear it and enjoy it. Oh, no. There's no way Brandon Jacobs would ever put on a green jersey, whether it's the Jets, whether it's the Eagles. No, he's not putting on any green jerseys. I think it would be absolutely fun. Unless his son's high school is going to be green. There's no way I could see Brandon Jacobs in a green jersey. We'll see. When we come back, we are going to get into some baseball as the New York Mets are in a little bit of a bind. Uh, Steve Cohen has pretty much gave the drop-down smacketh on Correa and his aging Mr. Boris. Steve Cohen saying, take the contract or we will walk away. We have been hearing that the Twins might be interested in Carlos Correa again, possibly giving him a 10-year, $285 million contract. Steve Cohen says, you better take our contract or we're going to throw you to the Wolves. So when we come back, we will get into the Mets. Carlos Correa, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and what's going into baseball the last couple of weeks here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. Thank you to Brandon Jacobs. My name is Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 2023. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. All our shows. We have a new show called Game On with Joshua, a.k.a. Pain in the Butt Silverberg. Yaps for about an hour every single Friday. And yes, you can listen to our show, The Sports Loudmouths, which airs every Wednesday. Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 p.m. Great content, great guest, great everything. Tune in to the Sports Loudmouths, the New York Mets. I love what the Mets have done this offseason. And what the Mets have done this offseason is really make themselves even more relevant than we ever thought they could. And it wasn't the big contracts and the money that he overspent. Steve Cohen with these old pitchers, these senior citizen pitchers like Max Scherzer last year and now Justin Verlander, two buddies that played in Detroit. If the Mets win the World Series, he might as well just buy the Museum of Natural History. Or Jacob DeGrom going to Texas and losing 
with the Texas Rangers losing their face of their organization for the last seven years. And then after the Giants decided to walk away, walk away from a contract they offered Carlos Correa, the New York Mets scooped right in and offered Carlos Correa a 12-year, $315 million contract without actually looking at his background when it comes to injuries. And that was the problem with the Giants as well. They really didn't think the plate in his ankle was that bad. When you look at Carlos Correa right now, Carlos Correa right now is is trying to figure out how he can elevate his years and elevate the money that he's probably going to lose because of this injury. And Uncle Stevie, who doesn't really care about spending money, spent about $1.5 billion in the last two and a half years. So money is no object to this man. But to offer Carlos Correa, who I believe is one of the best clutch players in the playoffs we have seen since Carlos Beltran, a contract and not really know if he was 100% healthy is mind-boggling. I understand Uncle Stevie. Uncle Stevie is a businessman. If Carlos Correa could prove that he could play 70%, of the first five years for the New York Mets and make sure that he plays in the majority of the playoff games, no matter if it's eight years or nine years, you guarantee the money after that. Because in five years, it's the prime of his career and it's the best chance the Mets can win a World Series. And what does Steve Cohen want to do? He wants to win a World Series. And if he wants to win a World Series in his window, you got three years to go. You offer him that deal. I'll give you an eight-year deal worth about 240, 230 million if you play 70% of your five years games and make sure that you play in the majority of the playoff games, I will give you all the rest of that money no matter if you're hurt or if you're 100% healthy. So your 70% way of thinking would be 112 games a year he has yes. to play for the five years. Yes. If yeah. he plays Which 112 is, games, yeah. the last couple of years he's played over 130. So if he could play 112 in five years and be a big part of their offense in the playoffs, i give him an eight-year deal. You have to have stipulations in that contract right. to those five years. And if he could stay healthy and and help the Mets win, I don't think the four years left of his contract, he's not going to play more than 80 or 90 games. I don't think it'll hurt or even burn a hole in Steve Cohen's pocket. Yeah, I think the stipulations were something that was intriguing last week, too. And it seems like Carlos Correa is fine with a lot of them. And obviously the Mets, who brought them on, are going to encourage that kind of thing. The one that's been a little bullish to do that is Scott Boris. And pushing for the 12-year deal, he wants all his clients to be rich forever and make a lot of money, like Bryce Harper, for double-digit years within their contracts, so hence why they were pushing for the Mets to be able to give the 12 years 315. So is Carlos Correa really the one that said, all right, I'm not taking less years, or was it Scott Boris? Was it Carlos Correa having the incentive to have the Mets be the focal point of driving other teams' values up, or was it somebody like Scott Boris too? Because it seems like Carlos Correa does want to be a Met. You either give him the extra average annual value, push it to a $30 million per year contract if they do an eight-year deal, because you look at what Dansby Swanson got seven years, 177, Correa should make more than that in terms of average annual value of his 27. So initially, you would think that Carlos Correa is going to push for 30. We'll see if the Mets come down on that. But I definitely think it's no more than eight years based on all these injuries because his injury history is very similar to Aaron Judge's. He's been healthy the last couple of years, but in the middle of his career, he's had a lot of years where he's been missing games four years in a row. It's really interesting on what the Mets are going to offer Carlos Correa and if they offer it to him because the Twins are in it now, maybe a surprise team. Scott Boris loves those (laughs) surprise teams. I don't think it's going to be the Yankee. Hal Steinbrenner and Steve Cohen are very good friends. They're not going to smack each other in the back of the head if they're fighting for a player. Plus, nobody would think of the Yankees as a surprise team for anything. (laughs) I don't think the Yankees have any interest in Carlos Correa. I think they're more interested in Manny Machado in the offseason next year when Josh Donaldson
Donaldson is off their roster. I know this Carlos Correa thing is going to be the talk for the next five days until this gets settled. It will be settled by the end of next week. I think this will be settled a lot quicker than people think. It's really just trying to negotiate the contract and how the stipulations in the contract will work. I think the Mets will get him. I can't see the Twins scooping him up, giving him a 10-year, $245 million contract. There's no way Steve Cohen will ever be scared of the Twins. I don't think the Twins would be scared of themselves either. The only team that the Twins are afraid of is the Yankees. Every time they play the Yankees in the playoffs, right. it doesn't matter who's pitching. <laughs> they lose. Four, basically the baseball equivalent of the Packers and the 49ers. <laughs> the Red Sox signed Rafael Devers 11 years, $331 million contract. After giving him his arbitration, two days later they give him 11 years, $331 million. Rafael Devers is 26 years old. He's in the prime of his career. This guy is one of the best third basemen in the MLB. Does he deserve $30 million a year? Absolutely does. I think they got a bargain for him. One of the top four elite power hitters in the infield. I think it was a great deal. It works out for the Red Sox and maybe they make a move for Manny Machado in the offseason next year and add another bat to this lineup. Because Manny Machado could also play shortstop too. So you could keep Devers at third base and you keep Story at second where he's a lot more comfortable playing defense because when he's played defense at shortstop outside of 2019, he has really had issues. But yeah, Rafael Devers definitely deserving of this kind of money. One of the best pure hitters in all of baseball too. Yeah, he had one bad year with strikeouts with 143, but beyond that, the most he ever struck out in a season was 121 too. So he hits for pretty high batting average in a lot of different years and great contact, can hit all parts of the field. Lefty hitter that are hard to find especially at that level and young and durable too. Rafael Devers, well deserving of this money. We'll see where the Red Sox go after this because they're still not a great team overall assuming these prospects don't hit. The Yankees cautious about making a trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates for Brian Reynolds. I am not surprised. They're looking for possibly Volpe and Pereza or Volpe and Dominguez in a trade and maybe two other prospects to get Brian Reynolds to New York. The Yankees are not willing to trade any of their top three prospects. As what we've seen the last couple of years, the Yankees don't like to trade their top prospects anymore because they want to build around youth as Aaron Judge has become one of the faces of baseball, the face of this franchise now that he's the captain. Do I think that the Yankees could get this done for Brian Reynolds? I think in the long run, I think they will. I think they really want him. I think he could be the future left fielder for the Yankees. I know they like Cabrera. I think Cabrera is more of a utility player. You can move him in the second base. You can move him to right field, center field, and left field. Yeah, maybe the Yankees version of Jeff McNeil. I think Brian Reynolds is definitely a fit for them moving forward. It's just a question of when and what they're going to want to make this move. I would give up one of those players. You're going to have to. I would give up Pereza. I would keep Volpe and Dominguez. Pereza right now is the best Major League ready players. You're giving a young ready-made player for another decently young player and a star. Keep Dominguez because he could be a future center fielder. And Volpe could be a future shortstop or third baseman or second baseman. So I think that's where the Yankees are at right now. Yeah, we've seen the Pirates have a lot of trouble making trades, both as sellers and as buyers, where they give up a lot of value. And as a result, they've had a tough time really replenishing their farm system as it is. Now they're doing it a little more with Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz. But beyond that, they had a really bad rough patch where they couldn't even rebuild. So the Pirates, new general manager, new front office, not trying to make the same mistakes and trying to sell low on a lot of these other players, too. So they're trying to make this offer for Reynolds very steep. We know Brian Cashman is going to try his best to, quote-unquote, fleece teams. He wins most of the trades that he's done throughout his tenure as mm-hmm. Yankees GM. So he's not going to make it easy on them, too. And if I were the Yankees, yeah, I would definitely push to make sure you don't have to trade both of those infield prospects, especially shortstops that are so valuable in today's game as youngsters because of the athleticism. And we've seen teams call up top shortstop prospects and move them around other positions, too, like you were saying with Parasa. So they're going to do everything they can and not give up one of them. 
them. The other teams we mentioned last week that were in the running for Reynolds have been the Braves and the Mariners. I think Seattle's kind of shied away from it now. So it's really just the Yankees and the Braves that are in major competition. The Braves definitely have a lot of young players they can trade. So it'll be interesting to see if the Yankees try to match that kind of offer for a kind of hitter and a kind of defensive player they definitely could use. They could use a contact hitter. He wasn't as high of an average hitter this year, but he's been a 300 hitter two other years in his career and is a great defensive outfielder too. So And he hits for power. Right. That'll and take he's the, a pull ball hitter. That'll take the toll off of Aaron Judge. That'll take the toll off of, he doesn't play the field much, but maybe Stanton if he does have to play the field. They still have Harrison Bader there, but Reynolds is a much better hitter than Harrison Bader. So. Harrison Bader is the starting center fielder for the Yankees. As of now, yes. And he played very well. Great find by Brian Cashman. But if they do end up trading for Reynolds, then he's a better hitter than Bader. Maybe Bader is a guy off the bench they could use as a defensive substitute or a pinch runner Why type. can't Bader and Reynolds play in the outfield? They could. The Yankees will be filled with so many different options where they don't have to trade both of those shortstop prospects. If you're the Yankees, you definitely don't want to trade Peraza and Volpe because I think Volpe will come up this year. Maybe not at the start of the year, but definitely he's the future. He seems ready. When we come back, Money Line Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. Bringing some old hip-hop back, 2023. You are listening to the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows. We have Wake and Bake Chaz and his boys will be on every single Saturday. The Sports Lamas, which airs every Wednesday at 7 p.m., Thursdays at 9 p.m. So check it out. Great shows, great content, great guests. It really is as good as any digital network out there. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment in 2023 again Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. It is flu season. I've got the flu, but I'm still doing the show. Wes is not with us, but we have Chazzy and Jonathan. Chaz, what's up, brother? The best part about the world that we live in is our segment comes when it's 420 in the Marshall Islands. Now, all those islands, it's 420. I don't think it really matters to a lot of those people because it's 4.20 in the morning. But I don't know how many people are on those. The Solomon Islands, Baker Island, Holland Island, Marshall Islands. How many people could inhabit those? There's probably a few, right? They're not actually countries, though, too. So they're only Yeah, colonies. no, exactly. Yeah. Aren't they part of something? The Philippines, the, I think. Uh, recent history has not gone well on the colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> Having to give a lot of money to people. Johnny, what's up, man? What's up, guys? Here in Texas, it's not 4.20 in the morning, but trying to win some bets and trying to kind of get back on track. It's been a rough couple weeks for me personally on money-wise, but that's it. You know, don't worry. And that's an excellent point that he brings up because if anybody tells you they win every week, could they have a period where they win every week? Of course, everybody could. But reality is sooner or later, the numbers are going to shift on you for a little bit. And then you got a couple things you do, right? You either adjust what you're making mistakes. Sometimes it happens. These human beings playing this sport have done this same thing 18 straight times. So you'd kind of assume they're going to do it a 19th time. And then whether they stunk and they show up great or they were great and they stink, whatever it is, all you got to do is when you go in those down streaks, you just got to protect your money. You cannot chase. Say you win 450 bucks every single week for eight weeks. That's pretty cool, right? That's nice. I mean, that's like a payment of something, your gas bill or your car payment or whatever. You're 
could lose 3,700 of it in one day if you start chasing. And all of a sudden, you know what? You got eight weeks of winnings gone, and you still got the payment. Don't chase. Even for me, it's really tough for my business just because I can lose 45% of the time. If I lose 45% of my bets, I'm one of the best in the world that does it. 55% is a top-notch 0.0001%. But if you go on like Twitter and social media, it's tough because everywhere around you, everybody's winning. It's really tough to be able to kind of understand like that's not the way that works. It's not the way that happens. To not get outside of yourself because I used to do that and try to switch things up. And when I first started, I was like, okay, I like these three. I've been doing so bad. We're going to flip them. But to go all opposite ways, then go with three again. Stay steady. I handicap these games a certain way. Stick to that formula and it'll eventually kind of pop back in, in my favor. Been a tough go. So December to now has been terrible. Figuring out how do I just kind of stay the course. We got uh, in NFL playoffs starting next week, which I've done hit and passed really well. You look at home teams in the playoffs, everybody loves to say the home team, but it's a weird dichotomy of what's going on. Considering one, in the last four years, I think the home team is 24 and 20 straight up, not even covering the spread. So most home teams are going to be favored. By seven, we saw all last postseason, road teams still win the game. And then this year, it's weird too, because we're going to have maybe a coin flip for home field, maybe a neutral side game. If they had played the game, if nothing had happened, right, they would have been able to finish the game. They would have been already kind of set. This is your home team. It's not that way, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see where the lines get made, especially if you have a team that is home because of a coin toss. It would be surreal. You're on the road because of a coin toss. So why don't we get into it, Chazzy? I want to piggyback on a couple things. First of all, I feel bad when somebody goes on a losing streak. I've been on a losing streak. They made funny. I, I used to tell them, my way, guys, of overcoming a losing streak is I just shut off the sports. I turn on the sound of music. I know the Nazis are going to get beat. Everybody's going to be happy at the end. Sure, you got to go up a mountain in shorts with little kids, but they're Austrians. They're hardy people. They do you want to sleep? I don't think you want to watch The Sound of Music. No, I'm saying when the bets aren't going well, I go totally the other way, man. I get away from it. But I had a nice little streak. The bowl games went well. I finished the season eight straight weeks with my best bet cashing. Didn't cash last week because it was Cincinnati, and it was looking good, but that was a horrible situation. And it really did shake me to the core because I played football for so many years, and I've been hurt. I've been in the ambulance more than once playing football. Nothing like that, of course, but it shook me to the core because I've always told you guys, we're betting on human beings. We tend to forget that sometimes. We'll curse at the ref. We'll blame the players. We'll blame the coach. And dude, you bet your money on the wrong team. Shut your friggin' mouth. They're human beings. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to do the best they can. And that's all you can ask of anybody. But you got week 18. This is my first week 18, guys. I'm new to this week 18 thing. I've never had one before. I don't know how to handicap it. I'm assuming I'm going to handicap it like I handicapped week 17 in the past. So how do you handle this? Do I have to look at each game individually? What do you think? I think you have to look at every single game and the possible games that are going to get some of these teams in the playoffs. The Green Bay Packer game, Detroit, that's a big game. But that's a problem. They flexed it up. It could be a meaningless game if Seattle wins. It's not because I have a great memory. I'm usually high. What it is is I write it down and I put a number next to it and I put them in that order. If Seattle wins, then it's not a winner-take-all. But if Seattle loses, then that Detroit-Green Bay game is a winner-take-all. I 
did exactly what Arrow said. I went through every single game. I came up with five games that are the only five games I'm touching before the game bets I will have action. 55% to 60% of my action is after the game starts because then I know if I was right or wrong in the way I'm seeing things. And I'll have seven or eight plays on an over in the first half. If it opened at 24 and I get it at 26 and then 27 and then 29 and the 33 and finally at 34 and a half and they go in the halftime 21-14 and I cash seven over bets on a game that I didn't talk about with you guys because I was happening to watch it and I saw what happened. All four of these that I'm looking at are division games. These division games are the ones that have some issues because both teams are in it to win it. Detroit Green Bay is the fifth game, but I left it blank. I won't even look at that game until the Seattle game is over. And I've always loved the fact that you can have the teams that play this week play again the next week in a wild card game and it happens quite often actually. It's really kind of wild. The Lions Packers got flexed to Sunday Night Football and I understand because Aaron Rodgers and if somebody in Wisconsin wants to punch Aaron Rodgers in the face I'd be okay with that <laughs> I think he's a terrible teammate I don't want him to make the playoffs but you look at this team that had zero chance they were less than two percent the last four weeks they needed at least one team in those weeks to catch an L everything they needed has happened they controlled their destiny which is crazy to think about I thought the game that should have been on Sunday Night Football was Jacksonville and Tennessee. And I understand because Tennessee's, Josh Dobbs is going to start. That game is a winner take all. Nothing around in the NFL matters except for that football game where you lose a little bit. If Seattle were to win, it knocks down the hype of what the game was going to be in Lambeau. However, Green Bay was still to win the game. I'm okay with taking Detroit four and a half if somehow Seattle loses the game. It's not a gimme. I think I look at Baker Mayfield getting six and a half. I look at Baker Mayfield. He's playing for his career. What he can show on tape might get him an opportunity elsewhere. He may not be the guy winning 10 Super Bowls, but to me, a successful NFL career is if a team picks him up and he's a backup. That's fine so for not- his bankroll. Errol, are you going to give Baker Mayfield a shot of starting for your team? No, I don't think he's ever going to start again. I think Baker Mayfield provides something that we don't talk about. If I have a starting quarterback, do I want Baker Mayfield on my team? Absolutely. Because if my quarterback goes down, now I'm bringing in Baker Mayfield. Not the best, but a guy that has game experience. I think Baker Mayfield will have opportunities. Ace Keenum had a couple good games. He has a career. Brock Purdy, no matter what happens, has solidified himself to have at least 10 years in the NFL, whether it's starting or a backup, because he's won a couple games, proven that he can play football. Baker Mayfield trying out. Somebody else had this conversation with. What I said to them is, why would I want a guy that I know isn't a starter starting for me? I wouldn't. The Rams suck. I got notes on every <laughs> single one of these games, but when I got to Seattle Rams, I just put an X because I don't want to touch it, and I wrote, Rams suck. I would not be surprised at all if Seattle waxed me. I heard Jonathan say that Aaron Rodgers is a terrible teammate. We've had four teammates of Aaron Rodgers on the sports loudmouths. They all loved Aaron Rodgers and say he's a great teammate. He's so misconstrued because of what he does. Outside, outside he the locker room, Right. Yes. It's his body language. It looks terrible. Look, I know. You don't have Devontae Adams. Your job as that veteran is to build your guys up as a fan of the team or whatever. You see Aaron Rodgers and it looks bad. But you're winning. He's smiling, joking, laughing. And when he's That's not throwing his eyes, it just looks terrible. Tom Brady, when he's losing, he's screaming. He's yelling at people, yelling at referees. 
For years he was doing it. And then when he's scoring, he's smiling, he's putting his arm up. But everybody says Tom Brady's a great teammate. I think people misconstrued what he did, obviously, with his family situation when he was dating that movie star. But what we have heard from teammates is say that they love him, that he's a lot better offset than he is on the field. But he's a guy that you respect, you know he's the leader, and he knows he's going to go out there and give you 100%. And he does. But he's, I mean, he's a trippy dude. He's out there. He's living on an island in terms of the way he's living his life. And God bless him. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a great quarterback. He probably should have had one more Super Bowl at least. He's going to win another one. That was the greatest segue. Blackhawk West gave out a play. The play he gave out was Georgia. But he just bet Green Bay plus 1,200 to win the NFC. And he got it at plus 1,800 someplace as well. How many injuries for the Niners would that take? You think he's going to win another one? I think he's going to win another one. With Green Bay? I don't know. I do remember the last time he won a Super Bowl. He was a wild card six seed in 2000. 10 when they would you want to play that team right now anybody no especially when he's going away he doesn't have to play in the snow he's not going to play remember he was pissed he was pissed because these kids were young and he was sick of dealing with kids now you ever watched a kid you john you got a kid you jonathan just had a baby it's his baby's first christmas the bottom line is they'll drain the life out of you they're kids they're john- learning and he just lost his patience well guess what now it's been five months they've been playing football together for five months they're getting pretty good when you look at Aaron Rodgers and what he has done the last couple of weeks, it's pretty amazing. He's made Christian Watson become the next Devontae Adams. Something about this team now, defensively, that they didn't show in the first half of the season, they're showing in the second half. And who was the number one seed in the NFC last year? It was the Green Bay Packers. They got whacked. Both number ones got whacked. And everybody had the Green Bay Packers going all the way last year with Devontae. It's practically the same team as they were last year without Devontae Adams. Now this year, everybody thinks that because they're just coming in and going into the playoffs as a wildcard team, if they win against Detroit, they can't win. Aaron Rodgers can absolutely win. Is it going to be this year? I don't know. But am I going to bet against him if he's going to play in a dome or he's going to play in the heat? I would bet on Aaron Rodgers against any quarterback right now in the NFC. He thrives in Lambeau. Not I don't in the know snow if and I not would want to see him on another cold. Look at his numbers away from Lambeau in the playoffs. They're uh, ridiculous. I think beating the Detroit Lions is not going to be a, a tough task because they have a terrible rushing defense. I believe the Packers probably exploit that, but in Lambeau, we know the difference between how they perform on the road versus in Detroit. It's going to be a tough atmosphere. I believe if they played the Vikings again in Minnesota, it'd be a different story. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was. Probably a lot closer of a game. Field goal wins it by somebody. I, I think the Cowboys are overrated. I think the Eagles are tad overrated. I do look at that division. If they get in, they're going to have opportunities to make runs. The one team is the Niners, but I do believe that Brock Purdy's got a great team behind him. Debo probably comes back. Brock Purdy's probably played a little bit better than we all anticipated. The regression will come. Nobody's going to come in. And even Tom Brady came in and he struggled a little bit in the early going. He's not going to be this second coming of Christ. I think the Packers do have a shot because of the way I look at the NFC is they're not the division. I think for me, the AFC is the division. That's a gauntlet. If I'm a young quarterback, I don't even want to go to the AFC. I want to be in the NFC. Look at this. The playoffs are home. Josh Allen, you got Joe Burrow, and you got Jacksonville's quarterback. Those kids, they're not even 100 between them. What about Herbert? He's ready to make some moves. I think he's a great quarterback. You have five quarterbacks in that league. Every single week, there's a name on the screen that he just tied or beat this guy's record. Every week, it's a great 
NFL quarterback, one of some of the best in the history. He's done six things that no one has ever, ever done after his so many games. It's just amazing. He's really, really good. I'd love him, but I bet on him at Oregon. So let's get yeah. some plays. That's I'm going to go through these four plays because these are the same four plays I gave out to Billy Elvis on 93.1, the fan in Lima, Ohio. So I'm not sure where the Jacksonville game is. I come into the green room here. You've got great snacks. There's some prosciutto, Malone. Life was pretty good. But I know that when you use the word collapse, it doesn't seem strong enough to describe Tennessee's standing. Their season, it seems like you need a bigger word than collapse. Collapse seems like it's an understatement. I love Jacksonville's quarterback. I love their second half covers. They're not scoring, though, in the first quarter. In their last 12 first quarters, the Unders have won 9 of 11 with a push. You take 9 and 2 all day long. Baltimore, Cincinnati. Baltimore. Half one, they've allowed 7 or less and 7 of 8. 7 of those 8 have gone under. In half two, if you bet against Baltimore and you bet the under, so whoever they're playing, take that team in the under. You've hit five straight weeks. You roll over a two-teamer. Take that ticket home, bring it back. At halftime, give it to the guy, say, let it all ride again, and you do that five weeks in a row. You take $100, and you get five figures pretty damn quick. Cincy, all they do is cover since Halloween. Halloween seems like it was a long time ago. They've been covering ever since Halloween because these are all division games. You got the head-to-head to look at as well. Baltimore won the last time, 19 to 17, but they were getting three. So Cincy covered. I like Cincy. So I like Jacksonville. I like Cincy. I think Dallas might be a little overrated, but in this spot, I like Dallas. Washington's a bad organization run by a bad, bad man. I wish them nothing but bad, bad juju. I think seven's going to be tough, and I'll be making his first start in the NFL. It's tough to find out what happens. Cowboys piss me off. This comes from loosely based Cowboy fan. I work where my money's at. That's what I really care. But I grew up a Cowboy fan, and it just has vibes of last season. And if you look at that Cowboy game last season, week 18, who do they play? The Eagles. They have nothing to play for. They're locked in their spot. This year's pretty much the same. What's the point of running up a score? And you're laughing. They were partying. Oh, man, you thought they won the Super Bowl in Week 18. And they go into the first week of the playoffs, and what do they do? They lose. I hope they might have learned something that you don't need to hang 45 on the commanders to feel good about yourself. Maybe they rest a couple guys in the second half of that game, which would make that cover a little bit difficult. It is all the way up to 7. Week 18, if you didn't get early action, you're probably screwed. A lot of lines move, and they move drastically. And that just happens with people coming. The commanders were four, four and a half, plus four, four and a half. They were going to go with Sam Howe. They took it off. Now it's up to seven. There's a couple games. I do a circuit contest. Not the greatest this year. But they actually did not hang a line for the Bills game. So you can't even make that decision in the Bills game because apparently there's maybe a little bit of talk, rumors. They may not play the game. They may actually say that they don't want to play because they are still worried about Lamar Hamlin. Understandably, the Westgate did hang a line, but in their conditions, it says if that game does not play, it counts as a loss. No matter which way you go, because if that game doesn't get played, it's just going to count as a loss. They're doing wow. it. You pick that game. I wouldn't pick the game. I hope that's not in small print. Holy cow, that's a big one. Their game gets canceled, everybody loses. You get no points for it. You don't get another pick. It's just a, a zero. That's a game that I wouldn't really touch. There's a couple games I'm looking at in the NFL. Those going to be the, the Detroit Lions and, and taking on the Green Bay Packers. I think I'm actually going to wait. I don't know how much the line will move. I think you're probably going to get about four, four and a half either way. If Seattle does pull off that win, I do believe that the motivation will still be there for the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell is a heck of a coach. One thing I know about Dan Campbell is he's not going to be the coach 
to be okay with like, hey, we didn't make the playoffs, pack it in. He's going to want to play four quarters of football. He's going to have his guys motivated. And what I look at is it is a motivation because if you do win, one, you could knock the Green Bay Packers out of the playoffs, your division rival. And as a coach, I coach football. And we didn't have a good season this year. But that last game matters. It sounds really dumb. but It doesn't sound dumb. When you have dinner... You have dessert. If you got a nice cheesecake, maybe a little raspberry swirl on top. Don't make me hungry. That's what you go to the car from the restaurant with that in your taste buds. So that last and thing is really and I, important. And I believe the Detroit Lions will have that motivation. You're asking who wins that game? Packers. I think the running game behind Jones and Dylan is going to be too much to handle. The Detroit Lions had the worst ranked rushing defense. We saw it a couple weeks ago in Carolina where they gave up two yard backs in the yeah, first mm-hmm. half. We're going to be a situation where Green Bay is going to be able to run the clock, run the ball down Detroit's throat. I just think that Detroit can maybe hang around. Not be too much, but I think plus four and a half for me is a good look. If Seattle were to lose to the Rams, it would be an even bigger play because now the expectations are going to be so much more for that game. Hasn't one of the quarterbacks in this Sunday night game, hasn't one of them been in a Super Bowl recently? Yeah. Jared Goff was yeah. in a Super Bowl. Yeah. You mean Sean McVay was the quarterback? The same team that got in on like the worst non-call in NFL history. <laughs> they changed the rules. I think Jared Goff is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Bar none. The guy gets absolutely blasted week in and week out. And I get the line started bad two years in a row. But if you look at his numbers, his numbers actually compare a little bit better in his first few years in the, in the league. Then another guy that was also in Detroit, Matt Stafford. Look at his receivers in Detroit, right? He had Hawkinson, who's now gone. He's thrown to a guy named Shane Zilstra. Amar Ross St. Brown is great, but he's been hurt a lot of this year. He has a guy named Josh Reynolds. He's not throwing the Pro Bowl All-Star receivers. One week, his top three receivers, his tight end just been traded. He's still through for 250, two touchdowns. The guy's a quarterback, and I think he's got a lot to prove because he did get traded from Los Angeles, and they win a Super Bowl. It was a one-for-one swap, and he got left out in the cold. I think he does have lots of proof. It's hard to not like that kid. But Detroit fans have suffered because as badly run as the Washington football club is, this Detroit club has been bad for a long, long time and then bad from the top down. So you got to think no matter what happens, these Detroit fans can't wait for next year to start already. They're going to be going backwards. They picked up the Michigan kid. Turned out to be a pretty good football player. I think their defense gets better, and they have one other big piece. They own the number four pick in the draft right now. That pick came from where? Los Angeles. The Rams. Remember, they gave everybody everything. I actually called them. I was going to try to get them to take my dog for number one, but they were trading with everybody else. They didn't return my call. The dog's old. I totally understand it. The Lions have lots to play for whatever happens in that Seattle game. I also actually will be placing a personal wager on the New England Patriots at plus seven, but I'm going to be taking the money line. I think the Patriots are a team that may be getting overlooked. I also see a Bills team that we don't know their emotional state. I do understand that what happened. Look, I don't necessarily think it was the hit. I think that's something pre-existing. One of the doctors said he had some cardio something. That is a one in a one millionth of a millionth of a millionth possibility to get hit at the right exact time. I don't think it was necessarily the hit. We've seen hits ten times worse. They said it was one out of 250 million chance. Something was underlined there because Ohio State. Marvin Harrison, that was a hit. That was a worse hit than what than what we transpired. So the emotional state, it's still tough. Never seen that happen. I played all my life. I was going to go to college and play before I got hurt and 
I lost my scholarship, but I've never seen that happen. And I think how do you get up for that and the emotional aspect of it? And I do think the Patriots at plus seven on the money line are going to be extremely valuable for your buck in week 18. It's a tough spread. The Giants are plus four. 14 against the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that might be worth a look. I know they're going to be resting a bunch. I feel like backup quarterbacks is a starting. He started before. He was actually winning games, and probably you don't know what would have happened if the doctor didn't mess up or his lung accident. He was winning games at the time. Now he's your backup quarterback. If he gets time, not bad. You're back to running back. You want to sit Saquon? That's Matt Breida, who was at one point in time the number one running back in San Francisco. I don't think you're losing a whole bunch to lose this big in a game where it doesn't really matter. I think the Eagles at minus 14 probably win the game, but I think at plus 14, I think I'll be on the Giants as well. There's only one guarantee I have for these games, and that's San Francisco knocking off Arizona. I'm taking them on the money line. They're going to do everything that I believe they're going to do in this game. What's the spread? 14. Two 14-point games this week. There's nothing wrong with betting that 55000 to win 100. 14 points stuff. I'm always going to take home when I bet the game just because it's the NFL. San Francisco is going to start all their starters. That's a perfect example. I don't bet like everybody else. I bet live because that's when I know as much as everybody. Before the game, Jonathan might know more than me. After the game, we know everybody knows the same, but that don't make you any money. During the game, we're both watching the game. We're seeing it live. We know what's happening, especially if you know football, and I tend to know football. You know what's going on, and the San Francisco game is just lining up to be a situation where they are ticking along, and it's like six and three, and all of a sudden, that line drops down to eight and a half. You pounce on it, and they end up winning by 12, 13, 14. 14 points, and you get the cover. I'm looking for San Francisco minus nine. Last week, I'm in a couple pick'em leagues. The line went to nine and a half against the Las Vegas Raiders. I had them early. I took them at 5.5. I'm like, closing value. I'm way above the closing line value. And Jared Siddham put up 300 and something yards on the league's number one defense. Not sure if there may be how that translates into this game. I think it's a lot of points. I don't know if I'm going to be touching that game. I don't even know who the Arizona quarterback's going to be this David week. Blau. David Blau. Am I really going to kind of hit that? I watch a lot of college football. I don't think I've ever heard of this guy ever. Did he go to college? Where did he play? I don't even remember. I just know he started one game for the Lions on Thanksgiving against the Bears. A year the Bears made the playoffs and they almost won. <laughs> and then finally Monday, Wes likes Georgia. He said Georgia's going to have an attitude because they know they could have lost to Ohio State and they didn't play well. And they're going to come in with an attitude. Twelve and a half is a gift. I don't you know, know if I ever going to say 12 and a half is a gift. I get it. Georgia, everybody wants to be on the SEC. I'm sick of when the SEC loses. Oh, they just didn't play well. Maybe Ohio State took it to them. Ohio State should have won that game. You mentioned somebody not getting respect. TCU's got none. Zilch, none. zip, nada. All oh, they're doing is winning and playing all the way to the final. And they're 9-1 against the spread the last 10. Oh, my God. I, all they do is cover. I actually bet it when it came out. It came out a couple hours after the deep out games ended on New Year's Eve. When that line got put up, I actually got a 14 and a half. I took it right away, and I actually didn't know where it was going to go. In my mind, I was like, maybe the public and maybe the Sharps might bet that up all the way up to 15, 16, 17. So I was like, I'm going to protect myself. Give me the two touchdowns in the hook, which I did. You're not getting 14 and a half anywhere. You're not getting 14. It's 12 and a half. Now, here's the scary part. On a couple sites I've looked at, over 75% right now is on TCU. I hate that. I can't be on the same side. I've already kind of locked in. I do think that TCU's been getting disrespected. I think Sonny Dye done a heck of a job at TCU. I think Georgia's a great football team. You have an opportunity here for TCU. This is going to be more now with the expanded playoff, but I think this is an opportunity to show, like, 
like, hey, we really do belong. They see you schedule in 10. They prove everybody that they belong. I think that there's too many points. Look at Duggan, what he's done, the heart that he has, the character that he brings to that team. They need him to make a play. He'll make a play. He'll make the throws. Defense stepped up last week. They gave him 45 points. I was like, it sounds bad when I say their defense stepped up, but TCU's defense made plays. They had a pick six. They yeah, so their defense made plays, enough big firework plays where I think that's possible against the Georgia team. Stetson Bennett, great, but I think he's beatable. I think he's very beatable with the right game plan, and I think that TCU might just be that team to knock off Georgia. He may be beatable, but he ain't been beat much, that's for damn sure, because we've got a national championship Georgia football from last year, and the best part about Monday's game is between when we air here on Saturday night and Monday at kickoff, if you go to championshipfootballs.com, it doesn't matter. We treat them all the same, guys. It doesn't matter if you're TCU or Georgia. You're getting your early bird special on your souvenir football the coolest present they'll open that day guaranteed and you're saving 20 bucks now you take that 20 and you bet it on your team boom you got half the football paid for that's math we souvenir really, football math well we really appreciate your math Chaz and Jonathan's hysterics thank you very much as always we really appreciate money line mania from you guys and we'll talk to you next week yeah, always be cashing. Thank you, guys. Jonathan and Chaz, Moneyline Mania, two fantastic personalities. Wes hopefully gets better. Yes. Me and him are fighting the flu right now. I'm dealing with it on live radio. He's dealing with it at home with his son and his wife. So he's both one of the lucky ones. Both of you feel better soon. I hope so, because I've been dealing with it enough with my coughing and my sneezing and my fevers. When we come back, we got some NBA and some NHL as the New York Knicks are in the middle of the trade market for for Zach Levine, uh, a Chicago Bull that's been very, very hot. And the Brooklyn Nets, that can't lose. Kevin Durant and the Clown Show in Brooklyn, who can't lose. So when we come back, we'll get into the Clowns, the Knicks, the Islanders, and the Rangers here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Listen to the Sports Loud Mouths every Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great guests, great content, hilarious content. So definitely listen to the shows. And we have Game On with Josh, a.k.a. Boring Silver. I'm just kidding, Josh. The New York Knicks have been talking about trades for months. They had a chance to get Donovan Mitchell. They didn't want to trade R.J. Barrett. They had a chance to get this guy. They had a chance to get that guy. But they didn't want to trade their youngsters. Now, all of a sudden, the Chicago Bulls look like they're just completely falling apart. The 10th seed, if the season were to end right now. And Zach Levine has been their best player. Just got an extension about a year ago. I don't know if they're willing to trade him. But boy, oh boy, if Zach Levine becomes available... The Knicks are looking for that superstar to play right there with Jalen Brunson. If I was the GM right now, if I was running this organization, I would definitely look at Zach Levine. He gives you constant offense. He's a pretty good defender on the perimeter. He could shoot. He can get to the hole. He could do everything. He's a New York type of player. From the years that we have had athletic guards, Allen Houston-like, I think he's better than Allen Houston, but 
athletically gifted. One of the more gifted athletes in the NBA. I think the Knicks could definitely use a player like that if he becomes available, but it's not going to be enough for them to jump over the hump with teams like the Celtics or the Nets or Milwaukee. I think it's definitely something the Knicks have to look at, but what do they have to give up for Zach Levine? The Knicks have a nice amount of first-round draft picks moving forward in the next couple of years. Eight of them. They're in a position where they can move some of those picks to bring in a star if they want to. The question is, is Zach Levine worth it? Is Zach Levine the guy that they're gunning for? They had a chance to bring in Donovan Mitchell. They choked on that. Now, maybe two, three years down the road when he becomes a free agent, they bring him in at 29 years old, but that's a long way away, and the Knicks want to be a contender every single year. So this could be a nice move for the New York Knicks. You had a guy that can give you about 28 points a game, can rebound, he can pass, he does defend pretty well against twos and ones. The question is, what do they have to give up for him? Yeah, and again, we've seen them be reluctant to trade Quentin Grimes in the Donovan Mitchell trade, so I would imagine they would be reluctant to do the same in this kind of deal, too. Especially since Levine has been in the rumors for the last couple months, too. The Knicks have really just been suitors at the recent report, according to Ian Begley of SNY, but the Bulls, since they've been struggling, have always been looking at that option between him and DeRozan, potentially moving one of them. Now, I would be You could get more for Levine. You're absolutely going to get more for Levine. DeRozan is not a good three-point shooter. He's an older player. Levine is a very good three-point shooter. Percentage-wise, he's over 37% each of the last five years, and he's a volume scorer, something that the Knicks have not had since Carmelo Anthony. So, you're looking at a player the Knicks could definitely use. Jalen Brunson will help take pressure off of him when it comes to ball handling, and he could actually score more. And he's a good free-throw shooter, too. So, if he attacks the hoop, he gets fouled on the threes. Now, the other stipulation that, too, is R.J. Barrett cannot be traded this year. So, Emmanuel Quigley, O.B. Toppin were the two names that were brought up in this, along with the draft picks as well. Maybe somebody else like Miles McBride or Jericho Sims, some of their other young players. I would imagine those two are going to be the centerpiece of the deal, along with the picks. It's going to be very interesting as the trade deadline comes around in the next couple of months. I don't know if it's going to happen until then, but if the Knicks get Zach Levine, it does put them in a position. They're right now the sixth seed. You bring him in. Maybe you move Randall after that, because they're going to have to do something Yeah, he might be in the deal, too. Yeah, so... You bring him in, you can probably jump from six to maybe four. With the Philadelphia 76ers right now, they're not the dominant force that everybody thought they were. I'm surprised they haven't fired Doc Rivers yet, but that should probably happen by the end of this season. So it's going to be very interesting moving forward. The Knicks aren't, and Rose needs to make a splash, not attacking this Donovan Mitchell situation when Donovan Mitchell thought it was a sure thing that he was going to be a Nick, and now he's playing for Cleveland. Cleveland's not that much better than the Knicks right now, and that has a lot to do with Jalen Brunson and the way he has played. And some of the youngsters that have really stepped up, the Quentin Grimes of the world, they're getting enough offense now. they got to get back to that defensive prowess. Maybe bringing an offense and a defensive player like uh, Zach Levine could give you that athletic ability and that athletic player they've been craving for for the last couple of years. People were talking about the Knicks, if they traded for Donovan Mitchell, would have like too small of a backcourt and not be able to play defense. Cleveland's dealing with those problems right now with Garland and Mitchell. They have a great interior defense, but they're one of the worst perimeter. And then there's the clown show themselves. And they're not much of a clown show because they're the second seed right now in the NBA, they're one game behind the Celtics. So the Brooklyn Nets, who everybody was making fun of, including yours truly, because I do think they're a bunch I think of everybody made fun of the Brooklyn Nets. I think they are a clown show. <laughs> Kyrie Irvin, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. They're three clowns. Good bench play by Claxton and some of the youngsters and O'Neal, who they made a trade for in the offseason, which everybody was shaking their head. So they're getting that kind of talent coming off the bench. So they're actually competing with the better teams in the NBA. And now they're one game behind a Boston Celtic team that 
over the last couple of weeks have not played well. They're 5-5. Five and five. Yeah. They do have, to me, the MVP of the league right now in Jason Tatum, but Brown's not played well in the last couple of weeks, and they're not getting enough off the bench. And if that continues going, the Brooklyn Nets can really just sneak in, take over first place, and then they're going to be chasing the Brooklyn Nets all season long. The Brooklyn Nets, to me, have the three best players on one team in the Eastern Conference. When Kyrie Irving is playing like this, and he didn't play well last night, when he needed to hit the big shot, he's one of the best clutch players in the NBA. He did it for Cleveland. He's done it everywhere he's gone, even with the Celtics, even though the Celtics couldn't get over the hump. Whenever he did play, he was a clutch player. The Brooklyn Nets right now, they have Kevin Durant, who's a great clutch player. They have Kyrie Irving, who's a great clutch player. And they have Ben Simmons, who is one of the more underrated defensive players in the NBA. And when you have that kind of dynamic trio playing at this level, they're going to be hard to beat. I believe by the end of the season, they're going to be the number one seed in the Easter Conference. I do believe they're a clown show. There's no question that they are. But I just think they're too talented with those three guys not to be the best team in the East. You're always the clown with the Celtics and Nuts being the top two teams in the East. Uh, I'm Udoka. He's probably not too happy right now not being able to coach either one of those teams. But no. the Nets have two things, at least as of right now, that they didn't have as good of last Doka's year. Doka's never going to be coaching in the NBA <laughs> I know, again. it seems that way now. The Nets actually have some depth and some defense finally for once, too. Ben Simmons has really helped the Nets get into a top. 112 type defense in the league, which they needed, especially on the perimeter where we've seen them take away a lot of good three-point shooters, good top point guards, taking away passing lanes with his size and the depth too. You talked about guys like Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry playing well, and also TJ Warren, who hadn't played in almost two years after he had a great bubble with the Pacers, and he's played well for them too. So the Nets are getting some good contributors. It's not just the top two guys, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant all the time like it was in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's been fun to watch. Even though they're a bunch of clowns off the court, they don't do the right thing, but when they're on the court, they play in sync. What they have done so far in the last couple of weeks, by the way, in the last 10 games, they're 9-1. and one. They've been that dominant and they've beaten some good teams too. They just beat the Pelicans, alright? The Pelicans, yes, Williamson did not play in the game, but they outplayed a very good young team. One of the better teams in the Western Conference. And they so, beat the Bucks and the Cavs on the road too. Yes. So, they're good and they're going to be hard to beat. If they play at this level and they get another player, if they, at the trade deadline and another veteran that's pretty good that could give you 15-16 points off the bench. Watch out for the Nets. The Nets are going to be hard to beat. Kevin Durant is playing more games than we've seen in a, in the last three or four years, which says a lot about him and how healthy he is. I think he's an MVP candidate. And Kyrie Irving, to me, as long as he doesn't open his mouth, this guy is an absolute dominant force on the court. I'm loving what I see as long as they don't open their mouths. As far as the Rangers and the Islanders, the Islanders are playing, I don't know what they're playing. They have not looked good. I'm not blaming on the goaltending. I'm not blaming on the defense. I'm blaming it on the offense. The offense needs to figure out what's going on with this team because they're not putting the puck in the net. They're not getting enough offensive opportunities and they're depending too much on the goaltending and their defense to keep them in games. And that has been a problem. They've lost two games in a row. They've looked horrible in those two games. And I don't care if it's Edmonton and I don't care if it's the Calgary Flames. They're two good teams. They're better than the Calgary Flames. Honestly, I think they're better than Edmonton, too. Well, they're definitely deeper than Edmonton. <laughs> I think they're better than both heavy. of them. And to lose against both those teams is despicable. Disgraceful. They need to play better hockey. They cannot let the Rangers and the Devils and the teams ahead of them pull away because then they're playing chase in the second half of the season, and they have no chance of making the playoffs if they're chasing the teams in front of them. The Rangers have played pretty good hockey. 
and they're getting the offense that they wanted and they've been craving for for Capococco. The goaltending, even though the defense hasn't played all around as good as everybody thought they were going to. I didn't, by the way. Zabitijat's played well. Panarin's played well. Pryder's figuring it out now. So the only guy that's really not figured it out is Lafanier. He's the only yeah. one that hasn't played well. So offensively, the Rangers are in position. That's why I don't think the Rangers need Patrick Kane. I know everybody keeps saying, well, if we bring in Patrick Kane, that gets us over the hump. What I think they need to do is maybe look at an Eric Carlson, somebody like or that. Or a good center, something like that, to help with faceoffs. They need to boost up this defense. They need to get themselves a good defensive defenseman. And maybe if somebody becomes available at the trade deadline and you're willing to trade one of your better offensive players, I would definitely look at that because that's what they need. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up Carlson. The guy I would look at if you want to look more maybe a defensive defenseman is on the same team with the Sharks is Vlasic, a veteran guy that's always been one of the better defensive defensemen in the league. And he probably won't be have to be traded for much because he's an older player. Now, the Rangers have had tried this before with a lot of older defensemen. A lot of them have not played well coming to the Rangers. So is it something that Chris Drury is willing to try again after many other GMs in the past have not made it work? I don't know. But they definitely still need some depth with that, and they definitely need some depth with the centers. They have individually good performing on both ends. Like, I say Braden Schneider has played very well. Keandre Miller's played good for most of the season, and Adam Fox, obviously. But Lindgren hasn't been the same as last year, and that sixth defensive spot, too, is something that has been a little iffy with Zach Jones, Hayek, whoever they've subbed in there. As far as Lafreniere, yes, he's been in some trade rumors recently. I only would do that for a top player. I'd be wary of that. You're going to get a top player for Lafreniere? Not, not on his own, but as a package of the deal, hoping for a, a good center like that, or just a center that can who, win Who do you think you could get with Lafreniere being the headline oh, of the uh, trade? You're not going to get Bo Harvey. No, 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 you need a lot more than that for Horvat. You're talking about possibly him, Schneider, and somebody else. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's going to be him, Schneider, their top prospect, Othman, and probably a first-round pick if you want to get Horvat. But again, there's going to be a lot of Western teams that are going to make trades. I'm curious what the Rangers are going to do with that. But they did beat the Hurricanes, which is a good sign, and yep. they're on a nice little winning streak. As far as the Islanders, the biggest thing with the Islanders, I think they've gotten off to a lot of these slow starts. Mm-hmm. And unlike the beginning of the season, they haven't had those big comebacks. That kind of thing wasn't sustainable. They can't score goals. And that's the big reason why. Like, you wonder how good that comeback identity was, but they were doing it in a lot of ways that seemed unsustainable. And as a result, we were seeing them fall behind to these Edmonton and Calgary type teams that on paper they should be better than, but haven't been. And you're right, it's not all in Sorokin. I think a lot of it's on the coaching and inability to possess the puck, too. They're not getting a lot of shots on goal. I think they're third to last in the whole league in shots on goal per game. That's a problem that Barry Trotz's staff had and they got away with, but yeah. I don't know if they could do it with Lane Lambert. We'll see. And the Islanders have to figure it out. I still think they have a lot of time to do that. I just think yeah, they can't fall behind. The Rangers, I think, are four points ahead of the Islanders. They need to make sure that they stay within their means if they plan to catch up to those teams that are ahead of them. Maybe the Islanders just need to play before our show because they've been slumping since they're not. When we come back, we'll get into you-know-what, everybody. Courage time! And when we come back, we'll get into the national championship game, Georgia TCU, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this... This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories. Check out all our live shows throughout the week. The Sports Loudmouths, our show. Every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. So definitely tune in and listen to those shows. Great content, great guests, great everything. You will laugh, trust me. Before we get into crunch time, this TCU-Georgia game is going to be fun to watch. Nobody would have thought that TCU would be here. Everybody thought it was going to be Georgia. 
Michigan, and maybe Michigan pulls out a win and knocks off the great and powerful Georgia. It's not going to happen that way. A TCU team that's played well all season, they lost one game in the game in the championship. They have a good chance. It, 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 it would be one of the biggest underdog stories we've ever heard. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Georgia, who is one of the best defensive teams in the country, if not the best, and offensively, they've been as good as anybody in the country. They don't have any weaknesses. They have one of the best coaches in, in college football. So they're in a position right now against this TCU team where everybody thinks they're just going to trample all over. And we have seen this before. We've seen good teams, top SEC teams or Power 5 teams that go into these games and don't put up the numbers we think. So can TCU win? I didn't think they had any chance against Michigan. I was wrong. I'm giving them a little bit of a chance. Well, if they can keep this game close into the fourth quarter – and there's like five minutes left, and they're only down by six points or seven points. Why couldn't TCU win the game? Yeah, there's two things you definitely got to be encouraged by with the way TCU played against Michigan, one of which is the way their run defense played. Yes, Michigan had a couple like big chunk runs, but in terms of yards per carry and a consistency basis, TCU did a really good job at pressuring the Michigan running backs and winning at the line of scrimmage. Now, Georgia has a much better offensive line, I think, than Michigan does, so we'll see if they're able to penetrate the same way against Kenny McIntosh and that group of offensive linemen. But still, TCU has been great at stopping the run all the year. They're top 30 in the nation at doing that. So that's one thing you could definitely hang your head high on if you're Sonny Dykes. And the other thing, too, is the receivers. The three receivers, one of the best cores in the league with Quentin Johnson. They got Darius Davis has done a nice job, too. And two good running backs. And they spread Michigan's defense out. And they were able to get yards after the catch that way. They were able to make tough catches that way. And we saw Georgia kind of have, have trouble with that, too, on third down against Ohio State with some tough catches. So that could be something that could be an advantage for TCU. Now, what TCU has to do well is they have to protect better. They struggled in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, at times against Michigan. And it's going to be hard to do against Jalen Carter and that Georgia defense up front, those literal dogs up front that they have, and that run defense. Will Kendra Miller be able to outrush Kenny McIntosh is another question, too, because they have the quarterback advantage I think with Duggan over Bennett but still I think it's going to be very hard against that Georgia defense I think it's gonna be a shootout again I think that could benefit TCU in winning I definitely do believe they keep it close for a while and we'll see if they end up coming on top that would definitely be one of the greatest underdog stories if they do all right Speedy what do we got crunch time it's time for crunch time all right we'll start crunch time by continuing more about the national championship game buy or sell both teams will score 30-plus points in this game. Absolutely buy it. I, I absolutely believe this is going to be a high-powered, high-scoring game. TCU put up a 50-spot against a Michigan defense. I expect them to do the same in a national championship game. Uh, I think they will come up short, but it's going to be a fun offensive game. I buy it. I absolutely buy it, too, because uh, Michigan's offense passing-wise is not supposed to be great, but they were able to score more on, on TCU in the second half, so I think Georgia could definitely do the same with Brock Bowers and Adoni Mitchell and those receivers that they have, and Setson Bennett, I think, is a much smarter decision-maker with the football than McCarthy was in that second half, so we know TCU's offense could score. I think Georgia's does, too. I definitely will buy that. All right, buy or sell. There's an interesting rumor. The Dolphins could fire everybody, including Mike McDaniel, if they lose to the Jets. Buy or sell? They will do that if they miss the playoffs. I'll sell it. I, I don't believe they're going to fire a coach that has a pretty good season. I obviously, has had bad luck with the Tua situation. Probably made a mistake with the concussions, but I do believe they're not going to fire him, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it because I don't think they're going to lose that game. I do think they will make the playoffs. We both have the Bills winning against the Patriots, and I do think the Dolphins will beat the Jets. So I do think they will survive that kind of thing. It would be a grave and utter mistake if they 
do it. I think McDaniel's done a brilliant job with Tua, his development, and with that offense as a whole. But again, it is the celebrity ownership, the stubborn ownership of the Dolphins. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Carlos Correa will sign a contract that is less than eight years. I'm going to sell it. There's no way in hell he's doing that. I think it's an eight-year or... Uh, nine-year deal. Anything lower than eight years is an absolute catastrophe in his eyes. I think somebody's going to give him an eight-year deal, so I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'll sell it, too. I don't think there's any way Scott Boris is going to let that happen, especially if he goes back to the Mets. I think eight years will be the pinnacle. I don't think, That's what I think it is. I don't think it'll get any more than that, but I, I definitely don't think Scott Boris is going to let that Definitely go. eight years, nothing less than Don't already drop down unless it's like a $35 million The per fact year that deal. he's dropping down from 12 yeah. to eight is a lot. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to sell that one as well. All right, back to the national championship game. Both Quinton Johnson and Brock Bowers have five-plus catches and 100-plus yards. I'm going to buy it. I think it's a high-flying game. Those are two of the best wide receivers in this game, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to buy that one. I think that Brock Bowers is definitely the toughest matchup advantage for TCU to be able to do that because TCU, they have some good linebackers, but a lot of them are more run-stopping, pass-rushing-type linebackers. Bowers, a very interesting prototype, kind of like Kyle Pitts was in Heaton's college. He can play receiver. He can play tight end all over the place. I think that's going to be a tough matchup. Quentin Johnson, with his size, I think he'll be able to win against the second and third corners of Georgia if Keely Ringo doesn't shadow him all game. So I am going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. One of the top six seeds in the NFC, so it's currently the Eagles, 49ers, Vikings, Bucks, Cowboys, Giants. The order will change in some way. I'm going to buy it. I think there's so many implications going into the final games of the year. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell that one because I think the Eagles are going to win. The Giants are going to play a lot of their backups this week. And a lot of Dallas or San Francisco changing the number one seed at the top is really reliant on that. So I, I just don't see that kind of thing happening. I am going to sell that. All right. Buy or sell. This is an interesting rumor. The Dodgers interesting in reuniting with Araldis Chapman. They will do that. I don't know why they want to do that. But if they do, they're idiots. So I'm going to buy it because they are idiots. I'm buying it. You're going to buy that. I want to sell that. But they just DFA Trevor Bauer. I think they're definitely trying to do a culture change with this team. They don't want to just spend money just for the sake of spending money. I know they lost Kenley Jansen last year, been seeking that closer. Craig Kimball didn't work out. They're not going to have to give Chapman that much money. So if they have to pay him a million dollars or two million a year, They'll do it. Either way, I think they know that they can develop pitchers well. I think they're going to be able to trust to do that. So I am going to sell that one. All right, last one. TCU will cover minus 12 and a half. I buy it. I think they will cover. I think they'll surprise and they'll have a chance to win the national championship. But I think Georgia has that blood inside of them. I think they win back-to-back years. I think they're the best team in the country. In the final part of this game, I think they're going to show you why they're the best in the world. So I'm going to buy that they're going to cover it, but they're going to lose the national championship. Yep, I agree. I'm going to buy that one, too. I think TCU starts fast like they did against Michigan. I think Georgia will fall behind kind of like they did against Ohio State, where Ohio State was definitely outplaying them for much of that first half. And I think Georgia's going to play from behind, but I do agree. I think third quarter, Georgia will start to surge a little more. I think you're going to see Stetson Bennett turn it on in the second half the way that he did in the last game. And, and TCU, can I trust their defense, their secondary especially, to be able to hold that kind of lead? We've seen them, even in the Big 12, have issues with that. So I agree. I think Georgia will win the game, a high-scoring game, and then I think TCU will cover. I have 41-31 Georgia. I don't have the score, but okay. I think it'll be close. Yeah, uh, so I, I have them winning by 10. So TCU does cover, but Georgia, back-to-back national champions. 2023 comes out in a bang. Thank you to Brandon Jacobs and Braden Jacobs for joining us. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chad. 
has. And obviously, Jonathan, I uh, hope you get well, Wes. I'm trying yes. to as I'm coughing up a lung all show. But thank you to all the fans that are listening to us. Thank you to all Long Islanders and throughout the country. Everybody that tunes in every single week listening to the Weekend Crunch. We really appreciate you guys as we try to give you the best possible content we can give you every single Saturday. So thank you to you all, and you will be hearing us more and more every single Saturday as we move forward in 2023. Good night.